Welcome to Hillside Baptist Chapel's weekly Bible study. Please join Dr. Steve Wood every week where we can all collectively grasp a better understanding of God through His Word. This podcast will be published every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at Steve rwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday evening podcast. We're glad that you've joined us tonight for Hillside Baptist Church service. And um, we're very happy to be with you today. Last week I told you that I didn't know whether we were going to continue in 1 Corinthians tonight or whether we would jump to 2 Corinthians. Well, I do have one more message tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll be reading verses 13 and 14 in just a little bit. And then next week we'll uh, go into 2 Corinthians and I already have started working on my messages for, uh, from uh, 2 Corinthians and it's going to be a good study there as well. Uh, I've enjoyed the study of 1 Corinthians, and uh, tonight's going to be a, a whole lot different, I would say. Uh, the name of my message is In Pursuit of Honor. I think you would say that's different when, uh, than uh, most of the messages that we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians. In fact, we're going to have just a little bit of a review of uh, some of the things that we studied in 1 Corinthians as we end our study of this book. It's been... Um, good to have this particular study, but I think 2 Corinthians is going to be just as good. Of course, not near as many messages from 2 Corinthians because the book of 2 Corinthians is a lot uh, shorter than 1 Corinthians is. All right, 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. So turn there with me. And uh, again, uh, the verses we're going to be reading in just a moment are uh, verses 13 and 14. I'm sure that my brother is not alone when I say that he's a fan of the Old West. My brother is also a minister, a Baptist preacher, uh, but he loves Western fiction books. Louis L'Amour, Elmer Kelton, Jack Schaefer. You're probably familiar with those. I'm not so much, but he loves Western movies as well. And uh, when we get together, <laughs> it's not unusual. If we watch a movie at all, uh, we watch a Western. You remember movies like Lonesome Dove, Tombstone, The Cowboys, and so many more. Of course, John Wayne was one of his heroes. I also love the historical writings of that time period. Authors such as Remington, Teddy Roosevelt, and so many more that wrote during that period of time in American history. All of these historical and fictional stories have one thing in common, conflict. In every good story, there has to be conflict. A bad town with a corrupt sheriff an outlaw rancher, a tough gun hand, sometimes the weather or the terrain is the villain. Other times we see a conflict within the heart of the characters. 
Conflicts abound in Western writings. But you don't have to read Western novels or historical books about the Old West to have uh, or have to watch a movie to find conflict. We don't need, need to go to Tombstone or Dodge City to find corruption. To find conflict, we can find it right here today, can't we? In our own towns, in our own homes, in our own churches, in our own hearts. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to this church at Corinth many years ago that was dealing with, you got it, conflict. As we've been studying, it had a good start. The Apostle Paul started that church, and it was doing good. And then the world started creeping into the church. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the infant church, telling them how they should be acting as a believer in Christ. He spent 15 chapters addressing issues such as sexual immorality, divisions in the church, wisdom that comes only from God, spiritual pride, conflicts between believers, and then he then gives instructions on many topics, including marriage, spiritual freedom, and the importance of not causing others to stumble. He discusses in detail idolatry, shows us that anything we place before God is capable of becoming an idol. He goes on to discuss the spiritual gifts, the proper use of the importance of orderly worship, in chapter 12, he teaches about unity with an illustration of one body with many parts. And then in chapter 13, commonly known as the love chapter, he teaches about the importance of love and how we as believers should exhibit love in all that we do. In chapter 14, he readdresses the spiritual gifts and orderly worship. And then in chapter 15, he reminds his readers about the resurrection of Christ and the importance of our resurrection one day. For 15 chapters, the Apostle Paul deals with problems. Problems in the congregation, problems with individuals, conflicts that have arisen over all kinds of different things, divisions, false teachers, pride. If broken down into a few words, the Apostle Paul was instructing, don't do it that. Don't do that. Now, in chapter 16, he says this is what we should do. Do it this way. And that's where we are tonight in our study. Just two verses, verses 13 and 14. He says, be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. Be strong. Your every action must be done with love. In this passage, he's giving good rules for living as bona fide believers, those who place Jesus first, 24-7-365. Let's break down the Apostle Paul's words and see how we can apply those to our own lives and to Hillside Baptist Church. Verse 13 says, be alert. Did you notice that? The New, Living, the New Living Translation says, be on guard. 
Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. False teachers were trying to change the direction of the church. The world and all that is evil was being brought into the church and there were people bragging about immorality. Cliques were being established. Pride was rampant. They were almost to the point of saying worldly people don't need to change. Just come on and join with us. Just continue as you are. Meaning, do as you please. How could this happen? The church had let down its guard and was losing sight of Jesus in the process. Unfortunately, this happens so often today. It's scary. So the Apostle Paul says, be alert, or be on guard as it were. Alert for what? On guard against what? Let's notice this. First, we must be on guard against the attacks of Satan. He is the thief. And notice in John 10.10, 10, it says, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Satan wants to do all three of these in our lives and in the life of our church. He will use conflict to cause divisions and disunity. He will use tools at his disposal to tear down the body of Christ, to render us ineffective personally and as a church. Satan loves it when a church is at odds. Why? We can't fight him when we're fighting each other. He loves conflict because the focus is no longer on the gospel. It's no longer on the lost. No longer in doing what God wants us to do. Next, we must be alert and on guard in our own hearts, our own lives. Our hearts will lie to us. When we act on emotions, often we do not do what is best and what is right. How many times have you heard someone justify an affair or an immoral relationship saying, my heart was in it. My heart wants me to do this. We must guard our hearts. We must guard our minds. When we allow things in our hearts and minds like pornography, illicit literature, bad movies, wicked thoughts, prideful thoughts, prideful attitudes, we lose our focus. We must guard against our own selfish desires, our own pride, our own wants, our desire to have it our way, no matter what. And then as we think about being on guard, it says we must do that. Guard our church. Make our church a place of hope for the lost and a place of refuge for the children of God. Verse 13b says, Stand firm in the faith. Firm on what? Stand firm on what you've been taught from the Scriptures. Stand on what you know to be true. Don't let false teachings or worldly ideas or pride or selfishness, self-interest, our own agendas change what we have been taught. We need to stand on Jesus, His Word, His love, His mercy. 
stand on the crucifixion, the resurrection that we celebrated a couple of weeks ago. The fact that He is the only way to get to heaven. Remember, He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. He is the truth, the life, the way. He is enough. Nothing else is needed for salvation. Not baptism, not church membership, not Jesus plus anything. Jesus is enough. Now don't get me wrong, these other things may be good and right in their place, but that's not what saves us, is it? Stand on the fact that Jesus is the head of the church. It's His church. We're simply part of it. That's where we need to make our stand. The old hymn, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. That should be our battle cry. Be on guard and stand on the faith. And then continuing in verse 13, he says, act like man, uh, a man. He's addressing all believers, male and female, Jews and Gentiles, all races, when he says act like a man. What he means is act like the people of God. If you have received the free gift of salvation, if you have been delivered from the bondage of sin, redeemed out of hell, act like it. In everything that you do, act like it. Godly men and women don't gossip and manipulate. They don't cause divisions or put up with it. Godly men and women strive for unity and peace within the body of Christ. Godly men and women stay away from the evil desires of the heart. They run from sin, even the very appearance of sin. We should obey God's Word, all of His Word. And His Word tells us how to handle conflict in the church, one on one. The world says, lie and gossip. Do an end run against around that person like you would in football. God's Word says it comes together in love for the cause of Christ. God's Word teaches us clearly on sin and tells us don't do it. The world says go ahead. It's not going to hurt you and it's not going to hurt anyone. God's Word gives us all we need to be men and women of God. But we must open it. We must read it. And apply it to our lives. If we are going to be different from the world, we are to be the light in the darkness of the world. For the lost to be able to see, for them to be able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And if we finally get them into the doors of our church and they see the same things in our church as they see in the world, gossip, division, Dissension, bitterness, anger, hatred, slander, selfishness, and so on. We've gone and on, couldn't we? Well, in the world, they can find those things. Why would they want to be a part of our church? They can get that where they are. If we're going to be godly men and women, we must act like godly men and women in all the dealings inside and outside the church walls, inside and outside our own hearts. I pray that visitors here at Hillside Baptist Church find something different than that. Don't you? Then notice again in verse 13, he says, Be strong. 
Paul is not implying that we should go to the gym and work out, although that's not something bad. But he's talking about spiritual strength, the strength to stand firm when everyone else is drifting. He's talking about the strength to act like godly men and women when everyone else is acting like the devil. The strength to be on guard against the attacks of Satan, against the attacks of the world, our own evil desires, and the ones who thrive on division and dissension. The strength to cry out to God for help, to be on our knees in prayer, to not be moved from our position, to hold others accountable, and to be held accountable ourselves. The strength to speak truth in love, always in love. Philippians 4.13 in the NIV says, I can do all things, all this through Him who gives me strength. If we look at this verse as it was intended to be looked at, it's not our strength, but it's Christ's strength that the Apostle Paul was writing about. So here in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, Be strong. Be strong in Christ. Be strong in your strong sand for the Lord. Be strong in letting others see Jesus in you. He is the protector of your souls. He is the source of our strength. And now down to verse 14. It wraps up this short to-do list. Your every action must be done with love. Reflects back on the 13th chapter, doesn't it? We must ask ourselves questions about our actions. As we take any action, am I doing this with love? If the answer is no, we must ask ourselves, anytime we take an action, how can I get back the love that I ought to have and what I'm doing? The answer is we need to get back to the Word of God. Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Matthew 22, 37. With everything we have, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, he goes on to tell us. God says that we need to have love in all that we're doing. Every action. Many times, we work without love, don't we? And the apostle goes on to tell us that we're like a noisy gong a clanging symbol if we don't have love. We're useless for Christ. As we act without love, we're doing harm to the cause of Christ. We're to act in love, live in love, show love, and do all things in love. Listen, conflict is inevitable. Anytime people are involved, there will be disagreements and differences of opinion, and that's okay. But when we as believers take the Apostle Paul's words to heart, we can overcome the conflicts with God's strength. We can keep down divisions 
That's when we as believers honor Him. Honor, honor the Lord. We need to guard against the external and internal attacks of Satan. We have more attacks on the church from inside the walls than we do from the outside. We have to recognize them for what they are and guard against them. Guard your minds, your hearts. One I left out is guard your tongue. The tongue is one of the most powerful weapons at Satan's disposal. Stand on the Word of God. Stand firm on your, in your faith. Draw a line that will not be caused. Act like saved people. Deal with conflicts and disagreement in God's manner. And especially deal with our tongues to keep them from saying things they ought not to say. We need to use Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20 as a guide as we resolve conflicts. Seek godly counsel. Make sure that what you want to do is according to God's Word. What we want to say is the truth. What we want to accomplish is kind acts and is necessary. If not, don't say it, don't do it, and don't hurt anyone. Deal with people one-on-one, -on -one, face to face, is what the Bible is telling us to do. It's amazing how many times what we think to be conflicts are simply minor misunderstandings when we follow God's Word and believe, dealing with them. Act like godly people in our dealings, all of our dealings. Be strong in the Lord and do everything in love. Love is the key. Love is the glue that holds us together as a church, as a body. Love is what sets Christians apart from the world. Father, we thank you for this study that we've been able to have in 1 Corinthians. I pray that it's been a blessing to those that are listening. And Father, I pray that these thoughts tonight, as we looked at these final instructions given by the Apostle Paul, a to-do list, things that we need to be accomplishing, will be burned into our hearts and that we will allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our lives and direct us in all that we say and all that we do. And I pray you, uh, your blessings on those that are listening tonight, be in our church services this next Lord's Day, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stay tuned for a short weekly editorial with Face to Face with Dr. Fred. Good evening. Man overboard. A drill for recovering a person in water. This is from the Yachtsman's Pocket Almanac. This is, this is what they say when a man is overboard. Number one, throw a life buoy. Number two, alert everyone on board by shouting, Man overboard! Man overboard! Three, Keep the person in sight at all times. 
if possible. Four, get back to the person as quickly as possible. Five, getting the person back on board is the first priority, and the first priority is to get a rope. Man overboard, a fearful thought if you were on a yacht, a boat, a ship, or whatever. It's a very fearful thought. What if you were with the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago? The Word of God records it in Acts 27. Suppose you were with that 276 on board. Then all were man overboard. What would you do? Paul said, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And then in the 44th verse, and the, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. If you were that 276, you would be safe. Thirty years ago, when Marlene and I first married, we started a shipwrecked Christian organization. Who has not been a shipwrecked Christian? Yes. Would I have to raise my hand? Yes, I would. I raised my hand. I was a shipwrecked Christian. Let us read that list again of the five things, what to do when a cry comes out, man overboard. One, throw a life buoy. Two, alert everyone on board by shouting, man overboard, and get them all on deck. Three, keep the person in sight at all times if possible. Four, Get back to the person as quickly as possible. And five, getting the person back on board, first priority is to get a rope. Now let us suppose that the yacht or boat or ship was our church. Man overboard! Man overboard! Perhaps he was a faithful member of the church. Shall we just let him go? Forget him. He made the decision. Why go after him? Maybe he rejects you. And maybe he is crying inside, just hurting inside so much, and just wanting to throw his guts out. He is hurting. He's wanting someone, waiting for anything from his church. Maybe just one person of his church would throw out something. Would he then grab it? With tears in his eyes, I believe he would. Oh, throw out the lifeline. Apostle Paul believed God. Should we not? Edward S. Ufford, a hundred years ago, wrote out that great hymn, Throw Out the Lifeline. And it reads this way. They'll throw out the lifeline across the dark wave. There is a brother whom someone should save. Someone's brother, oh, 
then will dare to throw out the lifeline, his peril to share. And then the chorus, throw out the lifeline, throw out the lifeline, throw out the lifeline. Someone is sinking today. face-to-face editorial is as follows. Email at drfminton at gmail.com or phone in Panama at 507-6641-8815. Thank you and God bless.